Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 6 today. Matthew chapter 6, as we look at the issue of prayer, recalibrating our lives around these biblical principles. We've talked about uh, priorities and attitudes and, and encouragement. Today, we're looking at the issue of prayer. I read a, an account recently about a businessman driving around a building trying to find a parking place, and he's late for this business meeting, and he's frantic. He finally gets very desperate, and he looks to heaven. He says, God, he says, I need you to, I need you to help me here. I need a parking place quickly. And if, if you can find me a parking place, God, I promise I'll go to church every week, and I'll, I'll obey you the rest of my life. And he drives around the corner, and there's a parking place right up close. He pulls in and says, never mind, Lord, I found one. Sometimes that describes our prayer lives. We, we, we get in a bind and we cry out to God and then we make up the solution ourselves and we say, oh God, never mind, I really don't need you. Jesus taught about prayer in Matthew chapter six. His disciples were, were longing to know how to pray, but he, he wraps it around this issue of, of, a, of our relationship with him and the heart attitude. So I wanna read all of this section in Matthew chapter six, if you would follow along, beginning in verse one. He starts with the issue of giving and then goes into prayer. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. By the way, if we never said another word today. That one first part of that verse should be enough for you right there. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But, When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, verse 5, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to stand, pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them, before you ask him. Then he goes on to teach the model prayer. Well, I want us to answer some questions, five questions about, about prayer today that might help us in a practical way to be in that right place, that right, that right spiritual place as we spend time praying and fellowship with God. Number one, what are some common mistakes when we pray? I think Jesus is addressing those here in this passage of Scripture. Some common mistakes when we pray. The first one is this. And this is the issue, really it's a heart issue, praying to be heard by others. Verse one, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. And then in verse six, when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now Jesus is not saying that's the only place to pray. 
Because there are other places to pray. He prayed publicly. He prayed with groups. So he's not saying that's the only appropriate place to pray. He's talking about this needs to be your attitude. Don't make your prayers the kind of prayers that you just want to be heard by people. He gives the, the, the teaching on giving to the poor. He says don't give to the poor to be seen by people. Don't flaunt your service. Don't flaunt your praying. Don't do it just to be heard by others. Have you ever heard a preacher preach? And you think the sermon's over, and then he's going to close in prayer, and he preaches a whole other sermon in his prayer. I've been a part of those. He's still, he's still preaching. Sometimes we get excited. I've, I've prayed with people where in their prayer, they're really, really praying to God, but at the same time, they're trying to preach a sermon to me. I was praying with one of our, one of our staff members this week, and I, I told her that I, I was having some stomach issues, and I said, you, you know, I, I, we're sharing prayer requests. Pray for me. I don't feel good. So while she's praying in her prayer, she says, God, give Pastor Kevin wisdom to know when to call the doctor. And so after we finished praying, I looked up and I said, I'm going to use you as a sermon illustration because you just preached to me in our prayer. By the way, I did follow her advice and I went to the doctor and she was right. I needed to go to the doctor. So um, you ever been in a small group where people are praying and really they're, they're trying to get somebody to, to listen to what they want to say to them? Would, oh, God, help her to realize she's making a stupid mistake. Lord, help him to see that he really needs to be obedient in giving. Be careful about praying just to be heard by others. The next mistake here is being too formal. Being too formal. Look at verse 5. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Be careful about making your prayers too formal. Uh, Jim Henry in his book, Dangerous Intersections, has, has written a, kind of a, a, a little story about a, a city boy who goes to church in the city and, and they, they sing choruses and contemporary worship and then he goes to the country and visits a rural church and they sing hymns there. So he goes back to his wife and she says, how did it go? And he said, well, he said, they sing hymns in that church. And, and she said, well, what are hymns? He said, well, it's like this. If I were to say, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a regular song. But if it were to be a hymn, it would sound like this. O Martha, dear Martha, hear thou my cry. Inclinest thine ear to the words of my mouth. Turn thou thy whole wondrous ear by and by to the righteous, inimitable, glorious truth. For the way of the animals, who can explain? There in their heads there is no shadow of sense. Hearkenest they in God's... And it goes on and on and on. You think... So uh, that's his, his, his uh, funny story to talk about how sometimes we just get our language that's above us. So Jesus is saying here, don't be like the religious leaders, the hypocrites, who they, they add all these flowery words in and become very formal in their prayers, and it isn't a heart issue, or it, doesn't, it, it reveals a heart issue. The third um, mistake in prayer is limiting prayer with a specific place, or limiting your prayer to a specific place. In verse 5, the, 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 the Pharisees, the hypocrites, religious leaders, they wanted to be in the synagogue or on the street corner. You know Why? Because that's where people could see how spiritual they were. Be careful that you don't just pray when you're here so that you can be spiritual. There are other places where it's appropriate to pray. One of the most significant prayers in my life was when I was living in Houston, Texas. I was driving home from work, and on Memorial Drive in Houston, God just broke me. Uh, it was, a, it was a, quite an emotional experience for me to finally say yes to the Lord. And I remember uh, I was ready to say yes. God, God was saying, Kevin, I want to take your life and I want to use it for my glory. And I had my plan for my life. And at that moment, God convinced me 
because I was listening to a, a song on the radio. God just spoke to my heart. This is what you need to do. I pulled my car over on Memorial Drive, and one of the most significant prayers of my life happened right there in my car on the, on, by the side of the road where I said, God, I'm yours. I'll do whatever you want with my life. Now, I wasn't in a church. I wasn't in a synagogue. I wasn't standing in any place where it would look holy. I was sitting in my car. It was in the summertime, so I had the AC on, so that was okay. Don't limit your prayer to a specific place. You can pray anywhere. The next mistake is using too many words. Too many words, or praying too long. Look at verse 7. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they might imagine they'll be heard for their many words. I don't know this, but Jesus may have had in mind Elijah and Mount Carmel. Do you remember where he was there with the prophets of Baal and he, he challenged them? He said, let's, let's build an altar here. And he told the prophets of Baal, you call on your God with a little G, your, your, your idolatrous pagan God. And if, and if he answers by fire, then he's God. And I'll call on my God, the real God. And if he answers by fire, then he's God. So Elijah lets them pray first, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they danced around, and they prayed, and they cut themselves, and they prayed, and, I, and they were this babbling, and I think that may have been what Jesus had in mind here. That's the way the idolaters did. That's the way the pagans prayed. Jesus says, don't pray with too many words. Be careful about praying too long. I don't know who said this, but I kind of agree with them. They said, if, you, if I'm praying together with you in a small group, and you pray for one minute, or so, man, I'm, I'm praying with you. But if you get real lengthy and you pray for like five minutes, I'm starting to pray for you. And, and then if you go longer than 10 minutes, I'm going to be praying against you. You ever get into one of those situations? God, help them to wrap up that thought so we can move on. Be careful about too many words. The last mistake is being too repetitious. Being too repetitious. It's okay to repeat. Scripture abounds with, with prayers that are they're repetitive, where, where the, the truth of Scripture, you read the Psalms, and the Psalms, by the way, are the prayers of the people of God. They were repetitive, but being repetitious in a way that you think, if you add these words in, like verse 7, babbling like the idolaters, be heard for their many words. When you just add words in because you think it's going to make your prayer more spiritual, if I can throw another Lord in there, or another heavenly father in there, or whatever it is, just as many times as I can between every other word. Be careful about that. Just making your, adding words and being repetitious. Some common mistakes. Well, let's ask the, answer the next question. Is there a certain posture for prayer? Jesus mentioned standing here, so I thought it might be good to address this. Is there a certain posture for prayer? The answer is no. Scripture lists many postures. We won't turn to all these, but in, in 1 Samuel, you have them standing to pray to the Lord. You have another in 2 Samuel where he sat down to pray. In the book of Joshua, chapter 5, it mentions lying down to pray with, with Joshua with his face in the dirt. In the book of Daniel, you have Daniel kneeling. All of those postures were appropriate postures for prayer. None of them are right. None of them are wrong. There are different ways to approach God in prayer. Sometimes you sit and pray. Sometimes you come and kneel and pray. It's all about the heart. It's a heart issue. And that's my next point there. The real issue is the posture of your heart. It matters not, Mary O'Hara said this, it matters not how oft you kneel in attitude of prayer so true. Unless inside where no man sees, your very soul is kneeling to. I found that to be the case. When I pray and I get on my knees, there's this reminder to me that I'm bowing my heart before the Lord. But I shouldn't have to get on my knees for that reminder. It's a heart issue. When you pray, 
Are you literally bowing your heart before God? What is the purpose of prayer? Number three, let's look at some mistakes. What are the, what's the purpose of prayer? Verse six, when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I believe what Jesus is saying here is that prayer is, is, a, is a conversation with God. Prayer is pleasing God, not men. That in secret part is what he's trying to say there. So praying is to please God. It's your relationship with God, and that's my next point there, um, that prayer is fellowship with God. Fellowship with God, communicating with him. Evie Hill, I think it was Evie Hill, uh, shared that he was a pastor, had been uh, invited to pray, and he prayed, I think, at Nixon's inauguration, and uh, before he was a prominent pastor, before he uh, was ready for the inauguration, a couple of weeks ahead of time, they contacted him, the inaugural committee, and they said, could, could you write down your prayer for us so we could have it? And, and he, said, he said, sure. He said, after I pray it, I'll write it down and give you a copy of it. What was he saying? Prayer is more spontaneous. It's not formal. It's not for man. It's, it's, a, it's a communication with God. That's so important. I remember one of our deacons at a church I pastored, he, we, at that church we, we passed an offering plate and the deacons would march forward and stand in front of the, the offertory table and, and the guy on, I usually they said, pastor, it's the guy right here, he's the one you call on to pray. And I called on my friend to pray and he prayed, I heard him pray for quite a while, a year or so, and one day while he's praying his offertory prayer that he always prayed, in the middle of it he just paused and he said, Jesus, we love you. Now I'd never heard him say that in his offertory prayer before. And he paused and he started praying from the heart. And it caught him off guard and it caught everybody else off guard. It took him a while to get back to his prayer. And I was, you know, everybody else was kind of awkward. What, what's gonna happen? Is he gonna finish his prayer? And I was uh, jumping up and down inside because there was a breakthrough. It, it finally became not this formal, uh, ritualistic prayer that people could hear. It became this man expressing his heart to God. So important, fellowship with God. We talk about in our small groups the importance of, of prayer being conversation with God. We've encouraged them to do conversational prayer, and, and that's where you don't just pray around the room where every person has a prayer to pray or where you spend a lot of time sharing prayer requests and then one person prays. But we say, let's do conversational prayer, and it's very simply where one person begins to pray for a need. And the rest of the group is listening and listen to the Spirit of God, listen to that person pray. And maybe this person over here will join in that prayer. Maybe this other person over here, God will give them some wisdom to pray a scripture for that. And after they prayed for that, then somebody else introduces another prayer request. And what it ends up being is a group of people in this group conversation with their Heavenly Father. I love that. Communication with God. That's the purpose of prayer. And it's not one way, it's two ways. You ever had a conversation with someone and they did all the talking? And when it's all over, they said, good talking with you. You're like, I didn't say anything. I just listened. Sometimes we go to God, and we just talk, 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 talk. He wants us to pause and listen to him. If you have trouble doing that, just sit still. Take the Psalms. Open up the book of Psalms and just, just meditate on it. And say, God, you've heard me. Now I want to hear from you. Prayer is for pleasing of God, fellowship with him. Number four. Let's look at some barriers to prayer. What are some common barriers to prayer? The first one is this, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. I don't know if that's a word. Spell check wouldn't let me do it, but I did it anyway. Look at verse 14. 
Skipping down, after Jesus teaches the model prayer. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Unforgiveness hinders our prayers. I believe in that verse 14 and 15, Jesus is alluding to his model prayer in verse 12 where he teaches people to pray, forgive us our debts as we have been forgiven, as we forgive our debtors. There's this sense that, that Jesus is saying that to fail to forgive others is to demonstrate that you have not accepted, you have not felt the, the forgiveness of God in your life. Personal fellowship with God is what he's talking about here. He's not talking about God saying, I'm not going to forgive you, you're not saved. He's talking about this, this issue of openness in communication with God. Unforgiveness will hinder our prayers. I looked this week for a couple of illustrations of how important forgiving others is. I came across a couple that, that, that I think will just be stark uh, contrast one from the other. The first one is a, a story in 2012 that was carried in the news about a man who walked up to the house, a man in South Dakota, walked up to the home of a former high school uh, mate, classmate. 50 years earlier, this man had gone to high school with this other man. He knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, the man opened the door, and he shot him dead. And as he was talking to police afterwards, this man who had gone there and shot this other man said, I guess it was buried in my subconscious, but I haven't really forgiven him for what he did to me in high school. And in more interrogation, they found out it was a locker room prank that, that high school boys do, nothing major. For 50 years, that man held on to that, and it ate him up and ultimately ended up destroying his life and the other person's life. That's bitterness. That's unforgiveness. On the other side, Laurie Hildebrand tells a story in her book, Unbroken, about a World War II veteran and prisoner of war. His name is Louis Zamperini. He, his bomber crashed into the ocean, and, and he spent uh, 47 days on a life raft. I think it's a world record with no, with no food and water. He survived, battled the sharks. That didn't break him, the, the sun, the heat, the no water. And he survived to be rescued by the Japanese and he ended up in a Japanese prisoner of war camp and in that camp as if all that he'd been through hadn't been enough one of the guards in the camp decided it was his mission to break every single soldier in their POW camp and they nicknamed the guy the bird and he tried to break Zaffarini but he didn't break the war was over Zaffarini came back home to the states as a hero But as she tells the story, he really ended up in his own self-made prison now because he succumbed to alcoholism, depression, bitterness, anger, nightmares. Then he went to a Billy Graham crusade. I think in 1949, he accepted Christ as a savior. And a year or so, a few years after that, he went back to Japan to visit that same location where that prisoner of war camp was. And when he went there, he thought he'd see his, this, this reunion they were having in that he asked about that guard, the bird, who had so abused him. And they said, well, he's committed suicide. And Lewis, at that moment, felt compassion for that guard who had abused him and had made life so hard on him. He said at that moment he realized that he had, that he had forgiven him. And folks, here's a man who can't forgive a locker room prank. And here's a man who had, was able to forgive someone for making their life miserable. Look at the difference. 
Whose lives turn out better? Those that hold on to that, that unforgiveness and bitterness or those that release it? We know the answer to that. Jesus says if you hold on to unforgiveness, it's going to hinder your prayers. The second barrier is unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. We looked at this passage, I think, last week as we were looking at drawing near to God. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had been aware of malice in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Remember we said, some translations said, if I, if I treasured sin. Another translation said, if I am cozy with evil, the, the, the Lord is not going to hear my prayers. There's a clear statement in Scripture there that when I have unconfessed sin in my life. God will not listen to my prayer. Listen to Isaiah 59, verse two. Your iniquities or your sins have built barriers between you and your God and your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. Unconfessed sin, bitterness, puts this barrier between us and our heavenly father so he's not gonna listen to our, our prayer and respond. John Lavender tells a story about Norman Vincent Peale. I love this story. I've told it before. As a little boy, Peale was sharing how one of his buddies gave him a cigar. So he decided, I'm going to be a big shot. He lit up that cigar, went out behind a, in an alley, and started smoking that cigar. And as most little boys learn, smoking cigars, he started getting sick. And it wasn't as, as great as he thought it was. But about that time, his father comes around the corner. And Peel shares what he did with that cigar as he put it behind his back. And to try to distract his father, he points up at a billboard. He says, hey, Dad, look, the circus is coming to town. Can we go to the circus? And his dad looks down at him and says this, son, never make a petition while at the same time trying to hide smoldering disobedience. <laughs> do we ever do that? God, please, please, please do this for me. And at the same time, there's disobedience in our life. There's unconfessed sin. The third barrier to a proper prayer life is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Look at verse 8 again in Matthew 6. Don't be like them, those hypocrites, those, those, those uh, who pray to, to get the approval of men. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Here's the key. Understanding that God knows what I need. In James chapter 4, James said this. You ask not, I'm sorry, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own evil desires. That word spend there is squander on your own pleasure. So here's what James says. James says, you're, you're praying these things and you're so self-centered. All you want is that thing so that you can squander it on your own desires and your own plan, your own purpose. Self-centeredness. Going to God and expecting God to take care of what you think you need instead of what God knows you need. There's a difference, isn't there? The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what, you know what that means? That means as I walk with the Lord and my life lines up with his purpose and his will for me, his desires become my desires. And Jesus is saying here that the desires of the Father, the Father knows what you need. Why are you out there begging him for stuff that you're just gonna use for your own glory and your own good? Self-centeredness hinders our prayers. Fran Tarkenton, all-pro quarterback, played in three Super Bowls, wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal, and basically he calls himself and his fellow players for shallow prayers. 
The article is entitled, Does God Care Who Wins Football Games? This is what he says in that article. My forays into hoping for divine intervention didn't work out. I prayed fervently before each of the three Super Bowls we Minnesota Vikings played in. I was sure that God would be on our side. I was sure that God would be on our side for the game against the Raiders, he said. After all, they were the villains of the league. And it was hard to believe that they had more Christians on their team than the Vikings did. We lost. Here's what Tarkenton says. This is what football players do. They pray, God, we want to win because we're better or we're more spiritual or whatever. You know what? When you're praying that, you're praying, I want them to lose so I can win. So I would never do that. We do that. We pray such self-centered prayers. God, I want my life to, to be what I want. I want things to go smooth for me. And I don't care what happens to anybody else. Be careful about self-centered prayers. Well, let's wrap up with my last question. What is the outcome of proper prayer? What is the outcome of, a, of the kind of prayer life that Jesus talks about here? That's not for, to be seen by men, but that's to, to be a heartfelt transparency before God. First of all, God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers. In Psalm 66, I read verse 18. If I'd been aware of malice in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But look at verse 19. However, God has listened. He has paid attention to the sound of my prayer. May God be praised. He's not turned away my prayer or turned his faithful love for me. Here's what the psalmist says. When I do confess my sin, when I do have my heart right with God, when I am right with other people, when relationships are right, God responds. God listens to my prayer. God hears my prayer. J.R. Vassar tells about a mission trip to, um, to Burma, to Myanmar. He came across one of those big, tall gold statues of Buddha with a bunch of people worshiping there. We saw this uh, when we were in Thailand. And as their people are showing up there, they're, they're lined up, some are kneeling, some are praying, some are giving offerings to this treasure box and praying to Buddha that he would fix their broken lives. And he noticed as he looked around the backside of this big statue of Buddha, there's some scaffolding up there because there was a repair crew fixing the broken Buddha on the backside. So here's what he thought. He said, how interesting that all these broken people are praying to a broken Buddha to fix their broken lives. Think about that. We pray to a God who's not broken. We pray to the creator of the universe who knows how to fix it all. Because he's, he's made us in his image, and when we go to him, we know that he hears us. And there's no sense, God, I don't know if you can fix this or not. God, I don't, know if, I don't know if you understand me. He does, he knows, he wants to, he hears. The second truth there, to say it another way, God not only hears, but God answers. God answers. I read Psalm 59, verse 2, or look at Psalm 59, verse 2. Your iniquities have built barriers, but verse 1 says this. Indeed, the Lord's hand is not too short to save nor is ear too deaf to hear. God hears and God answers. God responds. I read recently about a, a couple in Pittsburgh during a snowstorm. The man was having severe abdominal pain. So they called 911 and they, uh, I'm not sure, but they thought they dispatched an ambulance. They didn't get there. She called 911 again. She called again. Apparently they made three attempts to get to this family, to get to this couple to help that man. She just kept calling 911 saying, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. And they found out that during that time, 10 911 calls were made. 
Three attempts by the paramedics to get to them were halted by the blizzard. They could not get to them. One time, they got within like 100 yards of the couple and had to turn back. And on the 10th phone call, she said, never mind, he's dead. I thought, that's such an illustration of how sad it can be when you call for help and help doesn't show up, even though help wanted to. When we call out to God for help, he's not hindered by a snowstorm. He's not hindered by inability. He is the God who saves. He is the God who hears. He's the God who answers. If you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, keep that relationship right. Keep your sin confessed. Keep relationships with others right so that you can have an intimate, loving, healthy, fruitful, vital life of prayer. Let's pray together right now.